0: five of the Getting Into Good Trouble podcast, where we will be getting into good trouble so you don't have to. Each podcast episode will explore an ongoing or recently solved international protest.
1: This episode of the Getting Into Good Trouble podcast will focus on what's happening in Belarus. We will go in-depth and talk about how the slipper uprising started and how it went. We will be talking to an expert on this topic to show what was happening with the government in Belarus. These protests began with President Lukashenko running for office in 2020 and was accused of tampering with votes to make him president-elect.
2: Svetlana Tikoņoskaya, who was running against Lukashenko, claimed that she won. After this, many people went to the streets to show that they were unhappy with the election results.
0: On May 24th, hundreds of protesters gathered against President Lukashenko and his choice to run for the 2020 Belarusian presidential election. These protests became wielding slippers wanting to squish President Alexander Lukashenko, the man that nicknamed the cockroach. Unfortunately, these protests were met with heavy response from the government.
1: This involved widespread arrests of protesters, journalists, and opposing figures, and many allegations of police brutality. Reports of torture and mistreatment of detained protesters began to emerge, drawing out significant disapproval by the fellow community of protesters and human rights organizations. During the protest, the Belarusian government faced criticism for temporarily shutting down the internet, restricting information, and limiting communication.
2: In Belarus, things got very complicated because of the protests that started in 2020. The government, led by President Lukashenko, did not handle the protests well and got loads of criticism. Many people said there were human rights abuses and political repression.
1: Important things that happened during the protests included the government cracking down on people who disagreed, arresting opposition leaders, and even diverting a plane to arrest a journalist in 2021. Many countries, like those in the European Union, didn't like these actions and strongly criticized them.
2: Lukashenko eventually was arrested and opposition leaders were eventually charged with their crimes of human right abuse and political repression.
0: Today we're going to be doing an interview with Mr. Van Wheeley who teaches AP Gov and comparative government. Thank you for coming out here, Mr. Van Wheeley Thank you for having me. So we're going to go ahead and start with our questions. Kay, do you want to go ahead and ask the first question?
2: Sure, let's go. How does voting fraud work, and how does it happen?
3: Well, voting fraud is, uh, I guess, more related to you don't want uh We think most of us grow up in democracies and we believe in the principle of uh, uh, one person, one vote. Uh, And uh, we like to believe that when we all go to the ballot box, uh, that uh, our vote counts. Uh, I guess what voting fraud tries to do is to uh, change the results of the voting uh, in favor of the person committing the voter fraud. That means basically you want to eliminate Votes uh, from your opponent. Uh, you can do that in multiple ways. You can, you know, uh, very simply in authoritarian regimes, you can just simply uh, not count the votes for the other party. Uh, that's the most blatant kind of voting fraud. So people will go vote, uh, but then the votes are never counted or the votes disappear. the votes are simply counted for the other uh, party especially when this is done by humans Uh, this is very easily done Uh, there's more indirect ways of voting fraud or at least i I don't even want to call it fraud but to to temper with the uh, uh, the elections by for example making it difficult to vote so uh, saying in certain areas where you know your political opposition is really strong I'm going to make sure that there's only one uh, place where they can go vote. And so that means that uh, there will be long, long lines waiting for the voting, uh, waiting for people waiting to vote. And if people have to wait for four hours to vote, uh, a lot of them will say, I am going to go home or I'm going to go to my job. I'm not going to vote. You can technically, that's also a way to suppress the democratic vote, I would say. That answers your question.
0: Totally yes, understand
1: that. Thank you so much for that response. Belarus has um, a different like kind of government, I think. It's more totalitarianism than we like to believe. Um what how like what is totalitarianism government?
3: Yeah, uh, well, it's certainly authoritarian. Uh, that's generally uh, when we in A P Gov or A P comparative government we generally Uh, work with a continuum uh, from on the one side uh, democracy on the other side authoritarian governments and most governments are uh, somewhere in the middle or somewhere towards pure democracy I don't think there is a pure democracy in this uh, world we live in Uh, there is also probably not a, a pure authoritarian government when you talk about totalitarianism Uh, I I think you can see certain totalitarian uh, aspects in the the government of Belarus. Uh, We we generally think of a a state that is in complete control of the media, uh, elections, if there even have to be elections, right, Uh, if you're a totalitarian uh, Nazi Germany. Hitler was elected in a semi-democratic system, and and then when he took power, there were really no elections anymore, right? So if you're a totalitarian leader, you don't have to do elections. Clearly, in Belarus, there's still this idea of presenting themselves to uh, their population and to the rest of the world as somewhat of a democracy, because we have elections, and people can maybe vote for a, a different candidate the reality is that since uh, uh, lukachenko uh, was elected in uh, 1994 uh, and people will say that his first election because he was you know just another candidate at the time uh, that that first election was still fairly democratic uh, but ever uh, every election since then has been completely controlled by him and uh, you know, he always wins about 80, 85% of the votes. We never see that in a democracy.
1: Right, which really leads back to our question about the voting fraud.
3: Yeah, uh, so uh, there's, there's ways to do this. Uh, we talked about how you can uh, tamper with uh, ballot boxes, how you cannot count votes. Uh, I think what is uh, much more threatening in, in Belarus is the fact that If you become someone that says, like, I don't like uh, Lukashenko, I I don't like this government, we need some new fresh faces, and you say, I want to run in the next election uh, opposed to Lukashenko, then stuff can happen to you. Uh, And that uh, generally, uh, what we've seen in the latest election in 2020, uh, is that the people that were candidates uh, were uh, suddenly accused of corruption, uh, of being a tool for a foreign enemy, uh, either NATO or maybe the United States even, and they were simply arrested. And so once you're arrested, and once you're thrown in prison, you are also no longer on the ballot, and you know you don't even. That's that's the easiest way. If you have that much power, you just eliminate your op- opposition by putting them in jail. Uh, in that sense, Lukashenko is following the Putin playbook. Uh, this is what Putin has been doing in the last 10, 15 years. Uh, there was uh, a strong oppositional leader. Uh, he still exists, Navalny, uh, and uh, he tried to over, uh, you know, win elections against Putin and. Uh, he was accused of corruption. Uh, he wa- there were assassination attempts against him, and uh, he is now rotting away in a jail somewhere in Siberia. And uh, it's a, it's a really sad story. Uh, but he he sacrificed his own life uh, basically to to fight for Russian democracy. And uh, the, the thing is, I don't think he will ever come out of jail until Putin himself loses power. Uh, then maybe it's kind of a Nelson Mandela situation where someone will be in jail for 20, 30 years. If Putin ever uh, loses power, then maybe this Navalny guy will be released and will maybe become a new leader of Russia. Uh, but until that time, uh, uh, torture, having no contact with the outside world. That's the easiest way to get rid of your political opponents, right? Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. That's and that's not that's not really voter fraud anymore. Uh yeah. That's just uh suppression of any political opposition.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for telling us about that. I mean that does give like a huge eye on what's going on. Um Malou, we have one uh, one question coming from Lou.
1: Okay, so our question is: How do protests start with the people? And that's like really talking about like within communities of people how are protests usually like commonly seen brought up within them.
3: I think there's always some sort of leadership necessary to motivate the people. Uh, I I think a lot of people uh, sit around the dinner table and say we don't like our government. Uh, we want a better life uh, but what what are you going to do about it right especially in a situation where uh, the threat of being jailed or harassed or losing your job or whatever uh, makes life even more complicated i think a lot of people uh, are hesitant to protest but if you s- there, there's always certain, certain leaders in in revolutions and rebellions uh, that decide to say hey I am gonna stand up and if that person has a lot of charisma or, or race as the kids these days say uh, then, uh, <laughs> then, then then the people will follow right uh, uh, Soviet Union or before the Soviet Union was there uh, you had people like Lenin and Stalin and uh, Trotsky who for years, were also suppressed and had to flee their country and operated from outside of uh, Russia and then, but somehow they keep on fighting and keep on fighting for the cause. And then uh, then they succeed in overthrowing the regime of the Tsar and they establish a communist government and then they become the dictators, uh, which is kind of a sad, sad story. I really.
0: mean, totally understand that. Like, yeah, that's a lot building off like what we said. And that was great. Thank you so much for that point. Thank you so much for your time, Mr. Van Wheeley. Uh, we really appreciate you coming out here and letting us speak to you and talk to you and ask you some questions. Again,
1: like that. Thank you so much for your time.
3: Okay, no Thank problem. You. Thank you.
1: As we come to the end of this episode exploring the slipper uprising in Belarus, I hope our discussion has made you all more aware of the courage and resilience of the Belarusian people in their journey of freedom and democracy. We've had the privilege of gaining insights from Rick Van Leele, whose expertise provided context of the events that unfolded. His perspective shed light on certain areas, highlighting the significance of the movements in shaping societal change. As we wrap up, the bravery and determination shown by the people of Belarus during the Slipper Uprising is incredibly inspiring. Through the road to real change is tough, their strength motivates us all. It's necessary that we support those fighting for human rights and democracy in Belarus as things evolve. Thank you again to Rick Van Bailey for your contribution to our discussion. We encourage our listeners to stay informed, engaged, and support efforts aimed at fostering a brighter future for Belarus and its people. Remember, the power of change often lies within ordinary individuals taking extraordinary steps. Until next time, stay informed, stay engaged, and continue to seek out stories that amplify the voices of those striving for a better world. Thank you for joining us at the Getting Into Good Trouble podcast series.